Welcome to Manager Tools. One-to-one interviews are safe. Part two. This cast answers these questions. Should I do one-to-one interviews? Do I need to have someone else in the room when I interview? What are the risks of one-to-one interviews? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. If you're a European company or have teams based there, you may want to consider leveraging the exchange rate, particularly if you're in the UK, and have Manager Tools bring our training directly to you. We invoice in US dollars, which is a benefit to you. Even better, if we can schedule the training when we're already going to be in theater, there's no travel expense either. July 29th through August 2nd, we're in the area and available to host our standard trainings, effective manager, effective communicator, or effective hiring manager for clients who have large groups where our public conference in Frankfurt may not make economical sense. We schedule our training on a first commit, first get basis. Contact Maggie at manager-tools.com or visit our website for more information. Okay, so if the proponents of getting rid of one-to-one interviews... If they're so right about that, why are somehow executive interviews different? Yeah, yeah. So nobody ever wants to talk about this, but, you know, some VP talking to a senior director or something, you're going to have an HR minder in there? I don't think so. Or even worse, you're only going to have HR minders when it's a male VP interviewing a female director or something like that. Clearly, in the age of Me Too and male executives being hoisted on their own petards for good reason, HR would say a male executive would need a proctor president for an interviewer with a female candidate, right? But we don't see that. We don't. Executives conduct one-to-one interviews all the time. Executives take candidates out to dinner all the time. Male, female, 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 male, that doesn't matter, okay? The only reasonable explanation other than executives overruling HR and saying, I don't want somebody who's a minder. What do you, I mean, seriously, is that the problem isn't with the interviewer, but rather with the interviewee. And if an executive is conducting an interview, the assumption is that a mid-level to a lower high-level manager or executive would be taking a significant risk to his or her career to make an accusation of harassment or file a discrimination lawsuit against someone who has significant experience interviewing. The point here is that only that HR managers who say you need a third party in an interview but exempt their executives are allowing the inference that it's not really a policy after all. Okay, Or, you know what, executives, we're good. You're not. Right, Our executives, no, no, they know how to do this. When in fact, the Me Too movement in 2018, 2019 suggests that it's executives too. We don't read stories about lower level managers doing those kinds of stupid things. But I would argue that's only because that's not a juicy story for the press. But that happens. There are a lot more managers than there are executives. I would assume that's a problem as well. But if you're not going to have an executive have a minder... I would say, as a manager, I would say, yeah, I don't, I don't want that. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting if they're suggesting a minder in one situation, not others. You know, just raises the question of whether they have a policy or not, and when and where are you using minders? For example, one thing that perplexes me a little bit that these folks suggest that you have minders during one-to-one interviews, but they don't talk about using them in other situations. Like, you know, if you go to a a job fair is often that a manager or an executive is sitting there talking to some 
college graduate, they're one to one. There's no minder. There's nothing, yeah. right? Or phone screening, screening for interviews. Like again, I haven't heard anybody suggest that you need a minder. Like every time you're on a phone doing a phone screen, that you have to have a third party involved. And frankly, it's a little less formal. And if somebody's going to say something inappropriate, it's probably more likely that it's going to happen there than in a, a formal interview. So I, I, you know, it just starts to fall apart a little bit. Yeah, it does. Okay, so let's refute it with another angle. The screening process you're going to go through if you're an effective hiring manager and following our guidance. Again, to your point, Mike, I I think it's interesting that proctors are only suggested for face-to-face interviews. If your company doesn't allow one-to-one interviews, you may not have thought of this way, but if I'm going to be potentially so unprofessional as to need help proving that I didn't do something, why wouldn't I say something in a phone screen that would similarly put the organization at risk? Okay. That's not the point we want to make. I just think that's an interesting aside that never seems to get talked about in this idea of you can't have a one-to-one interview. The reason we can do one-to-one interviews when we are finally face-to-face with the candidate is the layers of screening that will have already occurred before we ever have substantive face-to-face interviews. What screening does is give us plenty of chances to eliminate anyone who could falsely accuse us, one of our interviewers, of harassment or discrimination. Think about what screening does for us. First, remember guys, we're gonna set a high bar with our job description. That's gonna deter plenty of folks that would be more likely to accuse us of unethical behavior. We then screened resumes against a clear standard, more deterrence. We've conducted phone screens against a high standard. And the same standard was applied to everyone because everyone got the phone, same phone screen. We've submitted all of our interviewers to mandatory training on how to interview and what to do it, what not to do. If you're not, you're crazy, guys. Okay. And by the way, I don't mean that HR needs to train them. We've created standard interview questions. We've eliminated freelancing. The people who conduct interviews the right way. Not everybody gets to ask whatever the heck questions they want. We're going to ask questions that we've determined are the most valuable asking for this role. And that would mean all the candidates get the same set of questions multiple times. You're not going to be able to go with your gut anymore in an interview. We have a standard introduction that every interviewer reads. If you work for me and you're interviewing and I find out you're not doing the standard interview, you're not reading the introduction, you're not chit-chatting for a minute beforehand, you're not allowing the interviewee to ask questions, you're not going to get the interview again. You may not like it. I don't care. The standard we're going to set for our hiring is so high, and the way we ensure that standard is met is everybody on the team knows it and practices the behaviors that help us say it and live it, There's no place for people who say, well, I I go with my gut or I've been interviewing for a long time. It doesn't work. And as we mentioned in Effective Hiring Manager, we have data. People who have been interviewing for years who conduct their own idiosyncratic interviews do less well than random people at picking true positives and true negatives. Less well. Now, they may have somebody 25 years ago that they found and everybody says, wow, that was a great hire. But one great hire which could come about for any number of reasons, does not make someone a good interviewer. Look, everybody gets lucky every once in a while. 
We capture hiring recommendations when we interview using only behavioral comments from the interview. If I were to interview somebody and go into an interview results capture meeting and say, I just didn't like her, that won't hold any weight. Zero. Okay. That's not behavior. And we do this every single time we interview any candidate for any job. Okay. We've learned and we've practiced, if you're following our guidance, every step of the way, we will not just set a high bar, but say no if we're in doubt. If we follow the process, the chance that a face-to-face interview candidate would be a false accuser or that one of our interviews would be guilty of said behavior is so infinitesimal that it doesn't justify a screen or reminder or whatever. Now, again, guys, to be clear, all of what we just said is a reminder that you got to use a process and it's got to be an effective hiring process, okay? If you don't follow our guidance, you can't tout your training, you can't tout your screening, you can't tout your standardization, uh, you can't tout your behavioral decisions as part of your argument. Yeah, and you mentioned training, right? And in our company, anybody who interviews, they go through training. They know exactly what to do, right? And yeah, I guess one could suggest that, well, we can train folks in other operational processes, but somehow interviewing is outside the bounds of training and people are just going to do what they do regardless of what we tell them or train them to. Yeah, look, do we really believe that even among the very few cases of actions brought against organizations, that they are distributed equally among firms that have a clear, communicated, and trained-to process, and those that don't do any training at all? In other words, those lawsuits are against companies who trained everybody. I don't believe it. Even better, that the odds of such an action aren't drastically reduced when we tell every candidate what our process is in advance, and then they see us follow it. Go a step further. Let's demonstrate our knowledge of the hiring process that goes into our training, but likely not into HR's version of training. No offense to the great, though exceptionally rare, manager interviewing training programs that exist. Far too many of them teach bunk, claptrap. Let me give you an example. We use this example quite frequently. We have an entire podcast on it. I stunned people recently when I told them this story. In Washington, most managers have read or heard in training that there are certain illegal questions that an interviewer must avoid. In fact, the reason I'm pointing this out is you probably got training to that effect. And illegal questions that you couldn't ask were a significant part of the training, as opposed to the idea of behavioral interviewing or interview results capture meeting or how to make an offer. Well, here's what's interesting about that there are no such things as illegal interview questions. The questions themselves are not illegal, guys. Now, full disclosure, I'm aware of one place, there may be more nowadays, it's been a year or two, Philadelphia makes it illegal, an illegal behavior for a manager or an interviewer to ask about salary history. I think that's a really dumb law, but we respect the law. The point is, this idea that you can't ask about a person's background, or you can't ask about, uh, let me put it this way. Let's, let's be really gross about this. Somebody would tell you, you can't ask whether or not someone's pregnant or a woman's expecting to become pregnant. Okay. Actually, 
you can. It's not illegal to do that. It's stupid and vulgar, but it's not illegal. What's illegal is using the information you gain from that question to discriminate against a person on the basis of the answer. But here's the thing. Too many training programs don't want to teach the law. They want to say what you can't do. They want to dumb it down for you and say, don't ask about this and don't ask about this and don't about this. And if you're really not a very smart manager, that's probably a good way to keep you from discriminating against people because of the color of their skin or their race, their religion, or their status as a mom or a dad or what have you. It's probably a good way, but it's still insulting to those of us who take the profession of management seriously. You can't get in legal trouble for asking those questions if you rule somebody out for 13 other reasons. Now, guys, I'm not suggesting you ask them. I just said they were stupid and vulgar. What HR has done is turn the illegality of discriminating and hiring on the basis of those factors into a prohibition against certain questions, which isn't technically accurate. In fact, we're aware of at least one situation where a manager came to a results capture meeting and having avoided any illegal questions, recommended against hiring somebody because they were part of a protected class, which should have gotten the guy fired. No kidding. Yeah. Our point here is that one of the core standards of the majority of interviewing training, off-limits questions, is inaccurate. What else ought to we, should we be questioning about normal hiring training? What this all means is we're not talking about the training that your company has provided you, unless you're familiar with the syllabus and find it outstanding. What this means is you're going to have to create training for all those on your team, and you'll have to deliver it. So you can say, hey, I can defend this. They've been trained. This is how we do it. And I would argue, guys, we'd love for you to come to our effective hiring manager conferences, and we think the book will drive some of that. But if you really want to save money, you can just buy the book, buy it for all of your folks, and then have some brown bag lunches where you walk everybody through it for about a month, and you guys can sketch out what your hiring process is, and it will only have cost you, you know, 100, 100 bucks, 200 bucks to significantly improve your hiring process. And they'll be involved in developing the process, and you can call it training. And if you want it easy, come to the Effective Hiring Manager Conference, we'll do it for you. And if you need certificates of completion, we can give you those too. If you did discover at some point that your HR delivered interview training includes illegal questions, you are permitted a Machiavellian smile, looking forward to actually mentioning to them that they really isn't accurate. But maybe just smile and don't say anything. Sometimes you don't want to the bear, because smile at people on your way up, because you'll see those same people on your way back down. You will have the opportunity to refute the idea of a proctor or minder by making the case that your training is better than that. Lay it out so that the only two problems a proctor can solve is an interviewer misbehaving or a candidate falsely accusing. Training eliminates the former and provides a defense against the latter. We hope to have reached a happy medium with the location of our upcoming conference in the New York, New Jersey area. We'll be there July 16th and 17th with our Effective Manager and Effective Communicator conferences and are hosting them at the Courtyard by Marriott, Jersey City, Newport. We'll be just across the river at the exit of the Holland Tunnel, which makes life easier for both those in cars and those taking public transit. Register today for a more convenient Jersey event.
by visiting us at manager-tools.com forward slash training. Okay. Again, we've mentioned it, which is we can reduce dramatically the risk of poor behaviors in interviews by having standard interviews, right? Yeah. The problem that proctors and minders are there to eliminate virtually goes away when every interviewer is given a set of standard questions and is expected to ask them verbatim. It's reduced even further when there are more questions than they have time for. It's not like we're only going to give them two and then they can make up another 30 for the rest of the hour or 90 minutes they're conducting the interview for. This discourages a slimy candidate from making a false accusation, knowing that the organizational defense includes the printed interview guide and the training guidance, which instructs using standard questions only. By the way, remember guys, the standard questions are the best questions to get the most important behaviors of the job. Since the job is the same for everybody, different interviewers shouldn't be asking their own questions. Heaven forbid they're clever questions either. When you're screening everybody for one certain job. And by the way, if you're a licensee, of course, don't forget, you can use your interview creation tool, which is part of the license to come up with those questions. I just delivered some management training yesterday in Dallas and a great client said, I'm astounded at how differently my interviews go when I use interview questions from the interview creation tool. Yeah, I found that true for myself as well. And we built it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. One more thing I'll mention. I, we don't have any evidence to support this, but we defy anybody right now to argue the logic that some candidates interview with us and they interview with some other companies. Who are they going to accuse of unethical behavior? Us with our screening and our standard process or some other company? If in fact we worry about the interviewee accusing falsely or being overly sensitive, the question is, who are they going to accuse? Are they going to accuse us or somebody else? My argument is they'd accuse somebody else. Yeah, agreed. I think we should also remember that what's illegal in hiring aren't certain questions, but the actually outcomes based on discrimination against those of protected classes or identity or status. I mean, you mentioned that earlier, right? That's, yeah, but it's worth repeating. What's funny and what I've gotten in trouble for before, speaking of that, is it's not technically right to say that all discrimination is illegal because the definition of discrimination, I know guys, don't write me nasty notes. Discrimination is not only for unlawful distinctions. Wine lovers are often praised for having discriminating palates, right? In fact, the process we built is discriminating. It doesn't discriminate against classes of people. It discriminates on the basis of the standards of behavior they're bringing to the job because behavior is always carried around in people. And what we want is the person with the right behavioral set. I never thought of myself as a, a bad guy because I discriminated against white wines, but. <laughs> okay, and I do, I and I do. I did not see that one coming. Yeah. Look, if our decision is strictly behavioral, there is no way we could make a discriminatory hiring decision using the effective hiring manager process. And thanks to the interview results capture meeting with its structure and required standardized input, the usual ran the usual discussion at the end of an interviewing day, rambling, unstructured, 
sort of confab that ends up being like whoever talks the loudest in the first. I like him. I don't. Bah, bah. Lack of structure about that meeting leads to sloppiness when it comes to interviewing decisions. Sloppiness needs to th- leads to thoughts becoming words and words becoming actions. And we don't want that. Let me just mention the final thing. I just, I've been not, I've been, can hardly wait to get to this. Candidates hate proctors and they hate panel interviews. Think about the candidate pool you might be interviewing, guys. How many of them are truly, potentially false accusers? Even if you would say, well, I don't know, they could be out there. Okay, so go back in your history. How many people have falsely accused you in the past? If you've done 100 interviews and nobody's nobody's accused you, the chances are less than 1%, right? Are we going to subject 99% of our candidates to a hated interviewing process panel, a third person in the interview, for an entire day to protect ourselves against the less than 1% who are willing to falsely accuse us? And to be fair, hate is not too strong a word here, guys. Interviewees hate multiple person interviews, panel interviews, right? And just for the record, I say panel, you're probably thinking, wait, we're only talking about two people. Candidates feel that anything with more than one interviewer is a panel in some ways, or even if they don't call it a panel, their responses to the interview are essentially similar to a big panel interview. And there's an entire chapter in our book called Whatever You Do, Don't Panel Interview. Okay. It's more stressful for the candidate. Interviews are stressful enough, but generally speaking, they're a little bit of stress, which is actually good. It's you stress, but more people in the interview takes them into distress, which is not useful because they won't be in distress every day at work. So it will reduce your predictability, the effectiveness of your predictability of your process. Look, job candidates say they understand they have to be interviewed, but an interview in most candidates' mind is one-to-one. More interviewers stacks the deck against them. And I've heard too many stories of there's a proctor in an interview and then the proctor gets involved in the interview. Look, either you're here to mind us, you're you're there as a legal protection, or you're part of the interview. If you were going to be part of the interview, you darn sure better have talked to me in advance. And I want to know what questions you're asking, because by the way, this person is going to work right alongside me and you're not going to see them but once every six months if you're in HR. Bottom line, adding someone else to an interview when one person has to make the decision and a recommendation about hiring or not hiring is a bad idea. Summarizing, the idea we would sacrifice the effectiveness of professional one-to-one interviews to allow a proctor to defend us against scurrilous accusations based on incidence levels approaching zero, it's not defensible. By the logic of people who support the idea of proctors or minders or, you know, not one-to-one interviewers, no one should ever meet with anyone, even on the phone, one-to-one. Even just about normal work, our company should be one-third proctors. Why insult your interviewers and your interviewees in the most important strategic HR process there is? Build your process right. Follow your process communicate your process, train your process, and if need be, defend your process directly against this kind of madness. I love that summer because I didn't really pull together in my mind until you just said it, which is if you're worried about something, build a process around it, right? If something's that important to your business where you feel you have to protect yourself, 
by putting something stupid like proctors in interviews. Maybe that suggests that it's worthy spending some time nailing down your process so you don't have the problem. All right, my friend. Thank you much. Thanks, partner. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you all next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long. Thank you.